Um, and it was just crazy stuff. And we've obviously seen tons of images of, of things burning and people obviously gathering together and helping, um, but videos of tears and crying. I mean, we, we don't need any more intro, I think, than that. Um, but I think what's been hard is sometimes, if you're like me, uh, you get quite paralyzed in times like this, or at least, at least I do. Um, I, I, I'm unsure sometimes of what I'm meant to be saying, what I'm meant to be doing, um, especially, I think, as a pastor. Um, sometimes I just feel absolutely, I'm not even sure, am I, am I meant to be praying for this or for this? Um, because there's so much confusion on the streets, then you've got like multiple narratives playing into things, and then you've got everyone's commentary on top of the narratives, um, and so, so much sort of is happening. And um, I think when I, I reflect on the Proverbs, um, some of the Proverbs just ring absolutely true this week. I mean, one that strikes a chord is um, a man that stirs up strife, um, uh, one that's given to anger, uh, causes much transgression. And I mean, that's exactly what we're seeing. There's lots of anger, therefore lots of transgression has been happening. Um, and what I've realized in times like this is if I can get clarity in my own heart, in my own mind, on the big picture um, and get some clarity on how the world is meant to be working or not working and how this whole story that we find ourselves in um, is set up and where we are and who are the bigger characters. And I'm not just talking about our national story, though that's part of it. There's various threads that are at play this, in this moment. But um, even our national story is just one chapter in the big story and that we find, where we find ourselves and, and the various characters and dynamics that are at play. And so hopefully today can help a bunch of us get unstuck if you feel like you're in that situation and also just lay groundwork for um, our lives and our faith uh, going forward. So let me set up uh, our story today uh, where we're back in the Gospel of Mark and a little map is going to come up on the screen here. It's of the, the Holy Land, if you will, and you'll see Jerusalem in a second in the middle of the map, um, and it's the province of Judea. And about 25 years, 30 years before our story today, um, it was the year 86, and this area of Judea had just become a Roman province. Rome um, had placed a new tax called the poll tax, which was basically anyone who was alive had to pay tax because they were alive, essentially. Um, and it was this massive thing, and a revolt sparked up straight away, led by this guy called Judas of Galilee, and uh, he was obviously revolting against what seemed like unjust taxation. And basically, there had just been lots of political unrest growing in the background over the, the 25 years that lead us up until the story. And to be honest, that's not even the half of it. There's been political unrest for 200, 300 years in, in the land. And almost every single uh, resident of, of, of Judea would have um, either them, themselves or had someone that they knew um, experienced victimization at the hands of the Romans in, in one, one form or another. Some were sold into slavery, either temporary or permanently. People had been forced off their land. Um, there was debt that was happening caused by decreasing harvests, increasing tax, um, and <clears throat> there was a bunch of uprisings that were happening that were then getting stomped out by the Romans. And on top of this, then, you've got the Jewish leaders, who a bunch of them were corrupt at the time. Um, they, they were stealing from their citizens. They were working with the Romans, tramping their own people. And so amidst all of this, you've got this rising zealot movement, which um, is, is still on the rise. It's going to be bubbling for another 30 or 40 years, years until it really breaks out. But you've got people like Barabbas, who are part of that movement. Um, he's a thief. He's committed murder in one of the insurrections. He's in prison right now. Two days from now, in our story, uh, people are going to be protesting for this legitimate prisoner to, to be released. Um, 
And I don't know if you're like me, but if you just hear all this political background to our story, it sounds a little familiar. It sounds eerily similar in some ways um, to the place we find ourselves in as a nation. And all that to say, um, this isn't the first time in history that people have experienced uh, the things that, that we're experiencing right now and that are going on around us. And so hopefully that helps us as we now dive into our passage here. And I'm going to read through it. It's going to come up on the screens. It'll be in the chat, I think, as well. Um, we're going to read through it. I'm going to just kind of give some commentary as we go. And then once we're through it, I want to draw out four things um, that hopefully um, help us get some clarity on how we can act, how we can think, um, how we can pray appropriately in times like this and in times going forward. So Mark chapter 12, verse 13 to 17. And they sent to him, sent to Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. So where are we? Last week, Steph was preaching, and the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders had gotten told off by Jesus in a parable, if you remember. Um, And so now what they've done is they've sent a delegation, an official delegation of the Pharisees and Herodians to trap Jesus. And the word trap here is literally this violent animal trap. It's the kind of thing that's going to slam onto an animal and maim them and catch them and do them real violence. And so that's what they're they're trying to do here in a a, a metaphorical sense. And the two groups that they've sent, the the Pharisees and the Herodians, are actually completely opposed to each other. They are the most unlikely pairing that you can imagine, and yet they are able to work together here to to trap Jesus. Uh, The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That is what is happening here. You've got the Pharisees on the one hand. They're very familiar to a lot of us who've been journeying through Mark. Strict obedience to the law, um, including their own additional rules. But they strongly opposed the Roman rule that was happening. Um, They weren't revolutionaries like the zealots. They weren't about to incite uh, insurrections, um, but they probably held, to be honest, the majority view of the people of the land. They didn't like the Romans being there. On the other hand, the Herodians, these guys were actually pro-Roman rule. They had allegiance to King Herod um, in some shape or form, and Herod was a puppet king put over Jerusalem by the Romans. Um, And so if there's an insurrection against the Romans um, and the Herodians get kicked out, uh, these guys are going to lose their their sway. They've probably got, um, there's kind of a Gupta thing probably happening here, to be honest. And so they don't want the, the boat to be rocked. They don't want revolution to happen. And so these two groups, completely opposed in ideology, now come together, and it's a recipe for disaster, for Jesus especially, because he's going to have to offend one group or another. That's, that's how they plan to trap him. And so they come to him, reading the text here, and they say to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and that you don't care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. And they kind of are trying to throw Jesus off balance here with this very flattering uh, bunch of words. Um, They're praising him for how impartial he is and how truthful he is as a a godly teacher. He doesn't butter people up. Um, He doesn't sugarcoat things. But of course, if they genuinely believed what they're saying here, they, they wouldn't be coming to trap him. They would be coming to listen to him, to receive what he had to say. And so Jesus rightfully calls them hypocrites just now in the text because that's exactly what they're doing in this moment. That's exactly who they are. And so they asked Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? And this is a big question because uh, it's, it's a loaded question because it raises this issue of 
faithfulness to God, faithfulness to the God of Israel. Um, they're, they're genuinely asking, can a person pay taxes to Caesar and still actually give allegiance to the God of Israel, especially in, at that time when there's still meant to be a theocracy, a nation under God? Or they're saying, are people traitors to, to, to try and um, support Caesar's rule over the land and, and give allegiance to God? So it's a big trap that they've set here. And it carries on. But knowing their hypocrisy, so there it is, Jesus said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's, Caesar's. So the coin is actually going to come up on the screen now, this denarius. Um, it has the emperor's image on it, um, and the inscription on it uh, would have read Tiberius Caesar. He's the Caesar at the time. This is one of them. This is the exact type of coin that, that they would have had there. Tiberius Caesar, August son of the divine Augustus. And basically what that means is Tiberius, Lord, essentially son of God, and then on the back would have been written high priest. You can see on the other side there. And basically, for your average Israelite, this was essentially a portable idol, to be honest. That's exactly what this was. I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a physical object that literally says, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God, Caesar is Prince of Peace. I mean, that would have triggered a lot of ancient Israelites uh, big time. And remember what an idol is? An idol is an image of a false god, an image of another god other than Yahweh. And the Israelites and us are not meant to uh, uh, make images of other gods. We're not even meant to make images of our God. Why? Because of Genesis 1. Human beings were created as the image of God. That's why uh, the, the tabernacle, Solomon's temple, the temples of the legitimate God never had images of him because human beings are the image. We were created as the representative of God in this whole universe being sort of a cosmic temple. And so that's why we're not meant to make idols. And so that's why this was a massive piece of idolatry, essentially, that they were carrying around here. And so Jesus says to them, here's the, here's the climax of Jesus' of Jesus's, uh, confrontation here, and we'll kind of spend the rest of the time unpacking this. He simply says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. They marveled at him. That's the end of the, the story. So here's the big idea uh, that I want to uh, impress upon us and, and for us to take home today, and we'll unpack it's the idea that all of us on the screen, you and I, are dual citizens. We are dual citizens. Uh, we are citizens of heaven and of earth. We carry both of those legitimate uh, passports, if you will. And basically, there's four things that I hope um, can help us uh, think, act, speak, pray, as I said earlier, that we can pull out of uh, the, 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 the Bible, God's, God's Word today, and kind of view the, the, the next 20 minutes or so as a extended call to prayer and call to worship. After this, we're going we're to engage in some worship. We're going to pray together. Um, and so view this as sort of an extended version of that, and hopefully it helps shape some of that. So here we go. Um, four things. The first thing uh, together that we need to be doing here in this time is to not withdraw from the earthly kingdom. Don't withdraw from the earthly kingdom or the earthly kingdoms in this world. Um, so the coin there had Caesar's face on it. And his inscription, and Jesus said, look, this coin belongs to Caesar. It belongs to his. It's got his face on it. It's got his name on it. And he was saying to the Pharisees and the Herodians, look, you've got no problem 
benefiting from Caesar, from the Roman roads, from the Roman postal system, the aqueducts, and clearly you've got no problem using this coin. You're busy using it. There were actually other coins that they could have used. And so he says, look, it's rightfully Caesar's, so give some back to him like he's asking. And Jesus is assuming here that there is no clash between the legitimate claims of Caesar and of God. Okay, it's an answer that none of the zealots, the guys who wanted to uproar and up, uh, you know, uh, bring an insurrection, they could never have given this answer. Only Jesus could have given an answer like this. And he's saying, being loyal to God does not demand civil disobedience. In fact, for the majority of the time, being a follower of God um, does, does, does not demand civil disobedience. It, it demands civil obedience in many ways, which we'll see. And so Jesus rejects this sort of, a sort of militant nationalism that guys are, are saying here. But he's also not saying withdraw. Withdraw from society. Don't be involved. He's not telling them to not have anything to do with the government. He's not inviting them to withdraw to some stronghold. No. Christians, you and I, we, we hold a legitimate heavenly citizenship like the Paul in Philippians tells us. But that doesn't exempt us from being exemplary citizens of the nations, the earthly kingdoms that we find ourselves in. In fact, the opposite is true. Being good earthly citizens is actually part of our calling as heavenly citizens. Okay, it's all over the Bible. I think of the classic Jeremiah passage. Go into the city that I'm sending you and seek the peace and prosperity of the city. It's, it's who we are as God's people. We are we're modeled after our Father, and so we are builders, and we are contributors, and we are givers, not takers, okay? This is who we are. We're people of hope. We're people with trust that, that evil doesn't have the last word at the end of the day. Okay, we're people filled with the love, the joy, the peace of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are. And so what this means for us is you and I, all of us on the screen, need to know that governments, our government, has legitimate God-given authority, and that they'll be held to account for that. But they do have legitimate authority. Okay? Jesus didn't reject Roman rule, even though it, it wasn't always good. It was tyrannical, the points. And you see Paul in, in, in Romans 13. You can go read the whole thing yourself later. But he echoes exactly what Jesus' sentiments are here, and Peter does in his first letter. He says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, because rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Pay to all what is owed, taxes, revenue, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. That's Paul in to, to the church in Rome, in the capital of the Roman Empire, he writes that, near the time of Nero. And so, friends, we do need to be people who, who pay our government, pay our government respect when respect is due. Um, we we want to lean in and be a people of, of honor, who honor our government where honor is due, and liter literally pay our taxes. We use the roads, we use the water, just like the, 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 the Pharisees would have done there. So we need to do that stuff, but we need to know at the same time as we lean in that uh, God is impartial, and he will judge everyone fairly, every single person. We've said this before, if we lose God as judge, if we, if we kind of take on a progressive Christian stance and throw out the, 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 the judgment of God, friends, what that means is everyone has to take matters into their own hands. Every single person has to take matters into their own hands. The truth is, people 
and government and uh, spiritual beings even, when they step out of the roles and the realms of authority that have been legitimately given to them by God, what happens? Pain, sorrow, sin abounds. And then God needs to deal with it, and so he does. Um, and we need to know that God will judge. God is an impartial judge over everyone. And what that means is you and I, you and I as ordinary Christ followers, we need to recognize that we too are going to be held to account for the realms and responsibilities that we've been given. Okay, government is going to give an account for everything that they've stolen over the years. I know some of you right now are feeling that and you're kind of pumped about that. And that's fine. You can be pumped about that. No one gets away clean. And government will be held to, respond, held to account for how they're responding right now. Every single looter, every single rioter will be held to account. And you and I will be held to account. And the truth is we love to, if you're anything like me, we love to tell, other, I, I, mean, I suppose I kind of do it for a living. We love to tell other people what they should be doing. Um, but then often what happens is we, we don't do it ourselves, right? I mean, if you're anything like me, we know that. Okay, we love to be commentators on um, earthly kingdoms. But yet we can often fall so short of being contributors and, and cultivators of, of, of our earthly kingdoms. And so we need to be nation builders. That's, that's, what, that's the point I'm driving at here. You and I need to be people who seek to build this nation and seek justice where we actually can. Often we love to be, you know, be armchair people on Facebook. But to be honest, let's get involved where we can. Protect the vulnerable where you can. Whatever that looks like. Whatever that looks like. Contribute towards eradicating unemployment wherever you can. However, we can get stuck in, whether as individuals or a community, let's do things like that. Let's move towards corruption where we can. Some of you are in various roles um, where you can, in ways that honor God, honor people, move towards fixing broken systems. And so let's do that. Let's do that together where we actually can and be nation builders, all right? So in this time and into the future, don't withdraw from the earthly kingdom. That's the first big thing. The second one is this. At the same time, the flip side of the coin, don't put false hope in an earthly kingdom. Don't put false hope in an earthly kingdom. So extreme nationalism or even, even just genuine good old patriotism, to be honest, is never going to be the final answer. It's never going to be the final answer. Friends, the, 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 the raw hard truth that we just need to reconcile with right now is that South Africa might not exist as a nation state in 100, 200 years time. America might not exist as a nation state in 100 years time. That's not our hope. That is not our hope. That's not the ultimate thing that we're building. And to be honest, no one on the screen can prove to me that this country will actually be standing um, in six months' time. You can't prove it. Historically or biblically, you can't prove that. Nations rise and nations fall. And when they fall, they often fall really quickly. I'm trusting that's not going to happen, and I don't think that's going to happen. There's been a lot of great positive signs. But we have to reconcile with that truth, that that is just reality. God has not promised to keep any nation standing because he's not the God of any nation. And to be honest, our nation is not particularly godly a lot of the time. So the truth is, this country, the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of this world are not going to be fixed apart from Jesus and his kingdom. All right? And sometimes we can try and get the fruit of the kingdom, justice, peace, without the king, and it just doesn't work. You and I need to make sure that we don't fall into that trap as Christ followers and just negate, negate the king and just try to seek about bringing his kingdom. We can't just put a sort of Christian veneer on humanism or progressivism or nationalism. We need Jesus. We need his gospel to bring about his kingdom.
And one thing that's huge to not get confused in what Jesus is saying here when he's saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, is he's not talking about a sacred and secular divide. That's not what he's saying. So he's not saying, okay, on the, on, on the secular side, we've got politics and we've got culture and all of my people go and be involved in those things. And then we've got the, the, the sacred side where we've got religion and spirituality and it's just a slice of the pie and that's what God's involved in and that's his realm and he just gets that little slice of our private lives. That's not what he's saying. God is over all. He's over everything. He's involved in everything. That means he's involved in politics. He's involved in the arts. He's involved in the family. He's involved in education. He's involved in commerce. And if he's involved, therefore we're involved. That's why we're called to not withdraw from the earthly kingdom. We're ambassadors of his kingdom in this kingdom. Okay, And the laws and the judges of this land are ultimately going to be judged by him and his law. So our faith is not a private thing. God's law prevails over state law. And that means that you and I, we do owe Caesar something, whatever that looks like, but we don't owe Caesar everything. Okay? The demands of God are infinitely greater. When there comes a time for a choice, we choose God, not Caesar. Which is the third thing I basically want us to pull out here, is that in this time, we don't withdraw from the earthly kingdom, we don't put false hope in the earthly kingdom, and we don't withhold what is God's. Okay? Jesus said that his big crescendo there was, and give to God what is God's. And you, you go back and you look at the text, and he, he, doesn't, um, he doesn't expound. He kind of leaves it open-ended. Uh, he doesn't explain exactly what that looks like. At least the first example, give to Caesar, literally looked like giving Caesar a coin in that moment. He leaves that open-ended, but I think he does get to the answer a little later in Mark 12. You can go and read it later. Um, he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And this is how he responds. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. And so Caesar's image is on the coin. So give that to Caesar. But he's saying, recognize God's image is on you. God's image is on us. And so we need to give our whole selves to God. That's the big idea. Okay? And the truth is, no human being has been able to do this. Okay? We've all failed at exactly that task, um, which is exactly why Jesus had to come to this earth to die on our behalf, to be able to reconcile us back to God. And now that he has died, he's risen again, and you and I have been united to him by faith, what's happened is the penalty and the power of sin has been broken so that we can increasingly do what he's asked us to do, give ourselves back to him wholeheartedly. We are the coins of God that we are meant to be giving back. We who bear the image of God and are inscribed with Jesus' name owe God everything. I would say we owe him everything twice over, once as creator and once as savior. That's how much Jesus owns us, essentially. And so we need to be contributing citizens like we've already spoken about. Giving to Caesar is actually a part of, of, of giving to God, as I said. But otherwise... We give our entire lives, every single part of us. And so I can't now start a list of, of everything that that looks like because that's essentially what we do every Sunday. Every Sunday we unpack what it looks like to give our whole selves to God. But here's just two that I want to pull out for us right now, of how we can engage right now and give to God 
what's his appropriately right now. The first is this. The first is repentance. Repentance. And it's a call for all of us, myself included, to, to check our own hearts in this time. Okay? Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the, the, the line between good and evil is not out there between political parties or between nation states. It runs down the center of every human heart. Okay? And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Someone said this week, there is a rioter that lives in all of us. All of us require repentance. And so you and I, Need to be, um, you and I need to be not like the Pharisees, essentially. I mean, Jesus called them out for their hypocrisy in this story. I think of the Pharisee in, in Luke chapter 11. He, he went into the temple to pray to God, and his pray, prayer was literally, thank you, God, that I'm not like those guys over there. And I wonder how tempting, let's just be honest, how tempting that is when you watch scenes unfolding in our country this week to say, thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy who's doing that thing. But to be honest, friends, we, we all need to just beware of our own hypocrisy. The truth is when, when no one's looking, we all do things that are not godly. And so the first is to just put the microscope on us, to come with humble hearts, repentant hearts towards God, and, 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 and just ask Him to, to reveal sin to us and, and, and come, come and repent. That's the first thing. The second thing is prayer. Prayer. We need to be people who give ourselves to prayer and there's about three or four texts in the New Testament that are specifically around um, you know, our relationship to the government and things like that. And this text in Mark is one of them. I've read Romans. But I think we're probably going to cover them all today, basically. Here's one of them. Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. He says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all people be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And that's what we can give ourselves to. It's one of the things we can give ourselves to right now, is, is praying for our government to, to do their job right now, uh, to, to bring peace, to bring order, we can pray for our government to continue to sort themselves out regarding corruption. We can pray for that because God's going to hold them to account. So let's pray. Pray for justice to be done in our country across the board to remove inequalities. Part of that is what has fueled the, the fires recently. And let's recognize it's, it's, it's got to be tough to even to be the best, most honest leader right now. It's got to be tough. You, you act too quickly and you bring in too much force and you're going to get accused of human rights violations on the one side. You act too slowly and you're going to get accused of, 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 of the fact that people's lives and livelihoods are, are being wrecked and destroyed. It is a rock and a hard place at points. So let's pray for our leaders. And let's pray for conviction and repentance for those who have perpetrated crimes, who have, who have wrecked other people's lives, who have who've caused food shortages across the country. Let's pray for consistent and more repentance for, for those people. And, and let's pray in general like just against the work of Satan. Friends, we cannot throw out the powers and the principalities. They are at work. The, Satan and his demons are at work. Where there is discord and disunity and confusion and chaos, it is the work of Satan involved with human sin. And so let's pray for um, the Holy Spirit to, to come in and, and eradicate the work of Satan. So in this time, let's not withdraw from the earthly kingdom. Let's not put false hope in the earthly kingdom. Let's not withhold what is God's. But I want to end on this. Let's not lose hope 
in the kingdom of God. Let's not lose hope in the kingdom of God. Friends, God's kingdom reigns over all, and it is spreading. God's kingdom, what is it? It is a recreated, renewed world that is spreading and has been spreading for 2,000 years and will eventually swiftly arrive one day when Jesus returns, when the king comes back, okay? And someone was saying this week, they, they were saying, remember, God created this whole universe out of darkness, okay? Let there be light, and he created the whole world. And then what happened is that darkness in some shape or form uh, from Satan and sin crept back into this world and it became dark again. But then another miracle happened. Jesus came to this earth. He died. He rose again. He defeated Satan, sin, and death. And he's now recreating this world one heart at a time. That is what he is doing. That's the kingdom of God. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to judge everyone. He's going to wrap up this age and he is going to bring in shalom, peace, proper peace. Peace that the Roman Empire said, the Pax Romana, Roman peace that we're going to bring across the world would never last. Peace that no government in any country is going to be able to bring in everlasting peace. Only the kingdom of God will bring in true peace. And so we need to be people who, with each other, cultivate this hope. Guys, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to spend our time doing. All our time, uh, you know, um, going forward, not just this week, cultivating this hope. We need to be reading about it. Reading on the pages of Scripture, reading church history, encouraging each other. We need to be talking about it. We're going to sing about it just now. We need to be praying about it, which we're going to do as well just now. And we need to be writing about it. If you have those skills, I mean, I don't even know what that looks like, but write about the hope of the kingdom. Whether it's text messages or blog posts or books, go for it, whoever you are. Let's cultivate hope. And let's remind ourselves that we are dual citizens. We are citizens of heaven and earth. We're children of, of two worlds. And we need to hold those things correctly, hold them in the correct order, one over the other, and let them influence each other at the, in the right way. What we're going to do now is we're going to have some time of worship and have some time of prayer. And um, let me just remind us that, uh, and we know this, our fundamental problem, our fundamental problem is not horizontal from person to person. Our fundamental problem is not ultimately about politics, it's about worship. It's vertical between human beings and God. It wasn't about Rome 2,000 years ago, and it's not about South Africa now. It's not about the ANC now. It is about giving God his due, which looks like repentance, as we've said. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said. Therefore, repent and have that come from wholehearted love like, like, like God requires. Wholehearted love from us, the ones who, who bear the image of God. That's what we need to do. That's what we're going to do right now together. And so let's bring ourselves right now to worship and to do, to be honest, what the Herodians and the Pharisees did at the end of the story. It just says, they marveled at him. They marveled at him. We have so much more to, to marvel at than they did in that, in that moment. Okay, let's look at Jesus together now as we go into worship. Let's recognize him as the true son of God. He's not Caesar on the coin. He's the true son of God. He reveals the Father. He's the true high priest. He reconciles us to the Father. Caesar could never do that. Jesus, Jesus, a man of integrity. He didn't, he didn't say what was popular. He said what was right. Let's look at him right now. Okay, the one who honors governments, even though they were about to kill him. He's the one that makes peace with his own blood. His own blood, everlasting peace. And he's the one who's got a far bigger heart of compassion than any of us do for the poor, for the marginalized. And he's the one that's going to come and judge every single soul. We can trust this person. Friends, we can trust Jesus of Nazareth. And so,
the first worship song is going to play. And now I, I implore you to engage, to lean in. And then after that first song, we're going to have a time of prayer. I think um, I'll hand over to Jeff. Uh, he's going to step in then. But I'd love you to bring prayers in that time, to bring prophetic words, to bring scriptures. Um, and then we'll close out with another song after that. So let's give our time to God.